food is such a it's such a comforting factor and so coming into a key event that you know an athlete has prepared and spent so much of their time so much potential money getting there and if nutrition or planning isn't considered um, properly it's such a small thing that can derail um, such a potential amazing performance or experience for that athlete Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Alan McCubbin. And I'm Steph Gaskell. We're both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists, and triathletes ask, sort of things that you're often debating in the coffee shop after training, during a session itself, or heading onto the internet to try and Google a result for. So we'll take that question, break it down, and invite a guest expert in our A episode and an athlete or coach in our B episode to add their perspective as well. Today, it's episode 35A, How Should I Plan My Nutrition While Travelling for Races? And we're lucky to be joined by Jess Rothwell, who is the National High Performance Nutrition Lead for Athletics Australia. She's also a sports dietitian at the Victorian Institute of Sport, working with the athletics program there and also at Olympic Park Sports Medicine Centre. She's also a former elite race walker herself. So in this episode, we'll discuss her experience as a competitive race walker and what she experienced in terms of nutrition while travelling for training and events talk about some of the common nutrition issues and challenges for both domestic and international travel and some of the tips for overcoming these. Some tips um, for choosing accommodation when you're booking to go away for a trip to to train or race. Uh, Some of the things to take with you also to be prepared for any situation that might arise and how you as an athlete can be better prepared from a nutrition perspective when you are traveling for events. So Steph Gaskell, how are things with you this week? <laughs> things are good, Alan. You, um, I'm pleased to say that I've got my first week down in terms of training. Uh, might have been swearing at you a little bit on the weekend. <laughs> this is a project, or oh, we won't, can't call it breaking five because it's exactly five. <laughs> oh, yeah. For some reason, I keep thinking it's four, but it's five. <laughs> yep. So project five hours. Yep. Project five hours. Yeah, no. So I've gotten out for, yeah, got in some, getting in some good training and it's, yeah, it's good, good motivation. So, uh, yeah, that's been happening. And then just things are around, around the house because we've just recently moved into a new, a new place. So that's, um, a lot of fun when the landlords don't want to, you know, kind of fix too much things and, um, yeah, that's that's always a bit of a challenge. Yeah, I was going to say any nasty surprises that you didn't realise until after you'd moved in. Yeah, well, like um, the the place was really really dusty, like crazy dusty. I think an older person's lived here before, and um, but then the other day, um, my partner was in the shower and the the fan cover just <laughs> fell down. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Oh dear! Oh yeah, um, oh, the joys yeah, of and then I realised that the um, wooden door on the side like has no handle, 
<laughs> so yep. you've got to kind of like lift the door like all these random stuff and yeah I asked for it to get fixed and then um they're like but I don't understand what's wrong with it <laughs> it attacked you from above <laughs> yeah yeah so, yeah, a bit of fun. What about you? What have you been up to? You've well, got school, holidays now. Yeah, school holidays this week. So um, trying to juggle work and kids this week and mid-semester break next week. So we've got a bit of time off from the day-to-day -day sort of bits and pieces yeah. from uni. But this week it's it's trying to juggle both. So sitting here trying to get work done and then being called out to do X, Y, and Z and then back in and then back out every 10 <laughs> minutes. And Yeah, but... Yeah, got a few days off coming up, obviously, with the Easter break, which will be great. Yeah. Um, so looking forward to spending some time with the kids and weather looks like it's going to be really good over the weekend here in Melbourne. So that's great. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yep, nice. absolutely. All right. Well, let's get into some social media shout outs and questions that we've received over the last week. Steph, mm. uh, kick it off with Instagram. Yeah, um, so Instagram, uh, well, we did a little bit of a, a tease out on the last episode to the wonderful Alice McNamara um, asking whether she'd like to join me on a lovely five-hour run in a... Project uh, five. Yeah, in the heat. And um, she replied to that shout-out uh, to do a five-hour run with me saying, Oh no, with us with a laughing face. But then I heard just tonight out from you that you're pretty sure you saw on our latest Insta story that she wrote, "I'm in." Yeah, well, this is the problem with Instagram because it puts that little button at the bottom of the story, which hides mm. what people have written under there. Mm. And I think I managed to figure out that under there she'd written, "I'm in." Ooh. So yeah. All right. Well, just um, let us know if that's a confirmation there and um, we'll book it in. Yep. Watch your <laughs> inbox, Alice. I want to. <laughs> and uh, we just last week had Emma Jeffcoat uh, on um, talking about, um, yeah, will, you know, supplements benefit me as an athlete uh, and her experience with it. And she added a story which had us tagged in it because it was regarding um, Athlete Guide to Sample Collection from Sports Integrity Australia um, because she was actually being visited by anti-doping officers at 10.16 one night last week. Mm. How's that for coincidence? Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if they listen to our podcast. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, the fun and, and games of being in the uh, the testing pool and having to do whereabouts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Glad it's not exactly. me. Exactly. No. Um, we also had Alison Higgins saying she's loving the podcast. Uh, would you be able to do a podcast on nutrition when you can't train because you're sick due to colds or, or flus? Um, so, yeah. Um, we we sure can. Uh, we'll put it we'll put it down for a future episode. Well, we've had it down for a future episode for a while, Steph. We've oh. been chasing our guest. Oh yeah, well that for about that was months. it. I wasn't sure if that related to that specific yeah, one, but I think so. well, we we I think we got told maybe next month or the end of this month that we can annoy that particular person again. So mm. um, fingers crossed, Alison. We are trying. Yes. Um, yeah. Yep. Uh, and then Facebook? 
Yeah, yeah. We had um, Katie Thursbury, I think it is. Yep. Uh, apologies, Katie, if I've mispronounced that. Mm -hmm. uh, she was saying, love the podcast. Thanks for your great work. I heard your crossover episode on the um, Inside Running podcast. I've been making my way through the archives of The Long Munch since then. Uh, I was wondering if you have or are planning to do an episode on nutrition for endurance training while breastfeeding because she hasn't found much evidence or advice out there. Thanks for the awesome show. Look forward to every new episode. So thank you, Katie. Um, yeah, it's certainly something we can have a look at. Um, I'm sure we can we can find. I can already think of you know an athlete we could potentially speak to, mm. and uh, we'll have to look for someone who's sort of an expert in that area of nutrition, both across sports nutrition and lactation. Mm. Mm. Yep. Yeah, I think that'll be a, a good one. It is a niche area, but I I think it it's definitely a um, popular one. And yep. our um, actual one of our recent or probably more at the start of the show, Ellie Pashley is is. Uh, soon to be a mum as well so she mm, might want right. to tune into the episode as well yeah yeah well congrats mm. to ellie yeah mm. all right now it's that time of the week steph where we find <laughs> out about everyone who's been approaching you in your day-to-day -day life about the podcast there's always one. always one this week i think yep. there's more than one what's been happening oh yeah yeah uh so i was lucky enough to have um stephen um stephen barter uh do uh, the amino acid uh, trial that we're running, actually. Um, and he, uh, yeah, enjoys ultra, ultra trail running. And um, he said, I'm really enjoying listening to you on the inside, or he really enjoyed listening to us on the Inside Running podcast. Uh, I didn't realise that we had our own um, podcast so now he's um, starting to to get through those uh, to keep learning um, because he, yeah, he recently actually did Five Peaks, which is a trail race over in Adelaide, um, South Australia. And, um, yeah, he found the, the advice that was given to him from when he participated in the trials was really handy. Um, and unfortunately for him, he was leading the race and, took a wrong turn right near the end and instead of doing I think 56 k's did 62 but still ended up coming third uh <laughs> but yeah he was kind of swearing at himself for uh accidentally taking a wrong a wrong turn somewhere along the way yeah well unfortunately yeah. we don't have navigation tips in the in the podcast so yeah. sorry about that yeah, Stephen you, you have to no, look elsewhere for that for one navigation I've gotten I told him about the race that I've uh, few races I've gotten lost in um <laughs> but Stephen it was also a bloody big sweater owl um but even on this run he did in Adelaide he uh, comfortably gets down two liters an hour which is pretty good yeah very impressive yeah. but what I'm a bit surprised about Steph is the fact that you didn't have the podcast playing while he was in there in the lab and that he actually hadn't heard of it prior to then well this is true. I'm trying to think what I watched with him instead on Netflix. I can't think of it. So he probably much more. <laughs> well, probably I was just yabbering in his ear, so he didn't get a chance to listen to anything else. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, and then we also had Olivia Warns, who we both know, our um, is a sports dietitian in Adelaide, um, yep. and uh, she also works with the um, South Australian Sports Institutes 
and also with Jessica Trengove, who we've had on the show before. So she was just asking about uh, trying to get access to our infographics, for um, particularly for the continuous glucose monitor um, one that we did, and she found that really useful. So thanks, Liv, to using and finding our infographics handy because we've been looking for that feedback. So mm. that's good to hear. Yeah, awesome. All right, and just a reminder that you can find us on social media at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And feel free to contact us if you've got a particular question that you'd like answered on the podcast. We will see if we can make that into an episode sometime down in the future, similar to the suggestions we had this week from Alison and Katie. Um, or if you have any other feedback, uh, good, bad, or otherwise, we're, we're always keen to hear from people and see what we can improve on for the podcast to um, make it more, more useful for the listeners. So, yeah. And now... Um, I know it's school holidays and that would be, you know, giving you a bit of a stressful look. <laughs> but I reckon there's something else you've got on your mind. So I'm gonna I'm going to find out what what is it? Yeah, well, our episode this week is about nutrition and traveling for races, but I think this comes back to pretty much everything we talk about in nutrition which is mm. people just thinking that they can wing it just you know food is the stuff I eat for breakfast lunch and dinner without much thought uh, it's got nothing to do with my training or my race preparation or anything like that and you know that's fine if you don't want to be a very good athlete Steph but if you want to perform and do well and stay healthy during all of those things you really need to put two and two together and get your nutrition and your training aligned and in sync. And obviously, when you add travel into that mix, that makes it even more difficult for all the reasons that we're going to talk to Jess about on today's episode. So, you know, if you're away from home and you think you're going to wing it, that probably doesn't work for you most of the time as well as it could mm. when you're at home. But when you're away from home, that's going to be even worse. You know, you don't just have the access or you may not have access to all the things that you normally have in terms of your kitchen facilities and utensils and things, the types of foods, the brands and products that you're familiar with and you're used to. Um, safe drinking water isn't necessarily a given depending on where you are. So, yeah, if you don't get all of those things right, you don't plan ahead, uh, yeah, good luck to you. Mm, yeah, yep. Yeah. I think you'll you'll hear some of the yucky stories um, that we share later on in this episode when things don't go right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so today's episode is? Yep, so episode 35A, how should I plan my nutrition while traveling for races? But I think we can probably add training into that as well. Mm. Uh, and our guest is Jess Rothwell. So as I said before, Jess is the National High Performance Nutrition Lead for Athletics Australia. Uh, and so she works, we'll, we'll hear a little bit about what her role is shortly, um, but works with um, dietitians that work with the athletics team across the, the various state and national institutes of sport uh, and also assists with um, some of the major events, things like Commonwealth Games, Olympic Games, World Championships and so forth, uh, which obviously has a, a major travel component to it. She's also a sports dietitian at Victoria Institute of Sport and works with the athletics program there, so directly with the athletes uh, on a one-to-one -one basis uh, as part of that role. 
she's also a former elite race walker herself, so she has some experience of both sort of domestic and international travel as an athlete as well as a sports dietitian. Um, as I mentioned, she attended the Tokyo Olympics as nutrition support for the marathon and race walk programs, which were up in Sapporo rather than in Tokyo. Uh, and we've actually heard her name mentioned several times on the podcast before by various athlete guests who have worked with her. Um, I guess Sinead Diver talked about that experience in Sapporo at the, um, the Olympics last year. And we've also had uh, Katrina Bissett, 800 meter runner, and Ellie Pashley as well. Um, or mention Jess in, in various stages in podcasts that we've done with them and interviews we've had with them. Um, so I guess Jess's role involves both domestic and international travel with athletes to championship events, um, as well as helping athletes directly plan other trips where maybe they're not as supported in a whole sort of team approach or where they might be traveling for you know altitude camps or training overseas or you know living in Europe between events and things like that so um a wealth of experience on sort of all the practical stuff and i think that's that's what's so great about this episode steph is that there's a lot of practical tips and information there uh whether you're just traveling you know interstate or or you know even to country wherever uh, for your particular event or you're getting on a plane and going to the other side of the world um there's going to be some tips for you in this one which is great yep yeah Looking, looking forward to it. And um, now that people are able to start traveling uh, and races are uh, occurring now more and more, then I think it's, it's very relevant. Mm, very timely. Yep. All right. I think we should get into it, Steph. Let's do it. Jess Rothwell, welcome to The Long Munch. How are things going with you? Thanks so much, Alan and Steph. Privileged to be chatting to you guys. I've shared your podcast far and wide and um yeah really I'm um, impressed with what you're doing on here but yes I'm I'm well it's been busy start to this year but doing okay and looking forward to a break over Easter yep I guess uh particularly because a lot of your work is in athletics and certainly in Australia that's peak peak season yeah so just finished uh the end of the domestic season and obviously now with um some of the challenges associated with COVID with travel and opportunities to compete we've got a lot of athlete movements different coaching squads and environments um, heading over to Europe and starting some of their international campaigns ahead of um, the World Athletic Championships in Oregon in July and then the Commonwealth Games uh, early August in Birmingham. So, yeah, it's a it's a busy, busy time, but exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, you're the nutrition lead for Athletics Australia, as we just mentioned, and you work with um, other um, sports as well. Uh, but you were a race walker yourself as an athlete at a fairly high level. So first of all, where did where did the sport take you? Um, so the sport took me from little athletics. Everyone always asks, oh, how do you get into race walking? Does it mean you can't run? Um, and so, yeah, essentially um, started in little athletics and I guess had had some reasonable aerobic capacity, could do the, the technical nature of the event without having sore shins or sore knees and um, essentially, it just kind of grew from there. Um, was coached by um, my first uh, coach across kind of the latter years of high school um, in Bendigo. So we travelled from our farm to Bendigo to some training sessions, or met halfway. Competed for um, I think South Bendigo and uh, ooh, 
just forgotten the name of the other club, in those earlier years, um, yeah, before taking it on a little bit more seriously. So ended up competing at um, World Juniors, some World Race Walking Cups and a couple of World Championships. Yeah, right. Now, we spoke to uh, Evan Dunphy, obviously a very well-accomplished race walker. He was our very first athlete that we ever had on the podcast back in episode 1B, and he described race walking as running but with rules. And I remember asking him at the end of that podcast, do you ever feel that sense of, oh, stuff it, I can't be bothered with rules today, I just want to go for a run instead. So now you're not race walking anymore. Do you Have you taken up running instead? Yeah, we always used to do um, a little bit of running. And I think my thought when racing was like not even to break into a run, but just to stop, you know, when you were hurting. Um, But yeah, I had um, a fun little crack at the Melbourne Marathon um, in October last year. I was quite inspired (laughs) after the Olympics. And I certainly could have prepared better, (laughs) I think, Um, but but got through it. But um, yeah, it's something that I'd love to pursue more. um, And just, you know, finding that you know, work-life balance and and fitting it all in, um, which is something that, you know, I personally need to, I think, work on a little bit, but love to run and love the unrestrictive nature of it as well. (laughs) Yep, fair enough. All right, and so today we're discussing the topic of planning nutrition while travelling for runners, cyclists and triathletes. Um, As an athlete yourself, what sort of uh, travel and accommodation setups did you experience yourself? Did you have any... uh, any, any shockers or any funny stories about straight, weird and wonderful accommodation along the way? Um, there was certainly a range, um, you know, your kind of um, basic style hotel, motel um, scenarios to Airbnb, um, places at altitude locations uh, to the altitude um, room at the AIS um, back in the day or the altitude house, I should say. Um, as well as the different team-based hotels, you know, that you stayed in as part of those um, benchmark events. Um, So I I can't think of anything too crazy in terms of accommodation. Um, They were, I think, generally pretty comfortable and, you know, what we needed um, compared to, say, some other sports that might be camping or, or doing all sorts of things. But I do recall a plane trip from... Moscow to Cheboksary in Russia for um, it was actually my first um, senior Australian team that I made as part of the World Race Walking Cup and we were in a smaller charter flight and so we took off and the seats folded in front of us forward and the flight attendants were flirting with coaches and all sorts of things were going on on the plane and then as we were I guess get, getting more altitude and um, into the flight the, the engines kind of stopped and we dropped a little bit and it was right. a time that everyone was like, oh, my <laughs> And it, it honestly, you kind of had that, oh, this is, this is it. And then it clicked and the engine was back on again. And so that, that was pretty um, unbelievable. And I think when, you know, you're only 19, 20, you're a bit oblivious to understanding that that, that can be a common occurrence in some Eastern European countries. And, um, yeah, it was quite, quite the adventure. So, yeah. Mm, yeah, right. I thought you were going to tell us about some strange, like, motel on the side of a highway in outback Western Australia or something like that. Or, But, yeah, not planes almost falling out of the sky. Sorry, I, you triggered me. We did stay in a fun one um, in Albuquerque in New Mexico when we raced in Chihuahua. And uh, and that, that was more of your kind of um, basic hotel setup. But every Friday, Saturday night, you had these, I don't even know the name of the cars, but 
these incredible cars that would just like, um, you know, bounce and they just did loops and laps around the, the street. So that was, that was quite, yeah. quite the scene. Okay, so do you want to tell us a little bit about your role with, with Athletics Australia? Obviously, you have the role uh, working with athletics at Victorian Institute of Sport as well. So I guess if you sort of mash those two things together, uh, what does your role involve with the athletes? Yeah, so essentially the role um, is made up of um, a day in the Athletics Australia nutrition lead role. Um, and so what that entails is helping to coordinate um, our practitioners across the National Institute network that are uh, working at different state-based institutes like the QIS, NSWIS, AIS, um, providing them updates um, from the Athletics Australia high performance team, um, key benchmark events that are coming up, different staging camps or different event group camps that their athletes might be participating in uh, and what opportunities we might have um, to support that camp um, in terms of any nutritional learnings or key things that we might be helping those athletes prepare for a major event. But a lot of the time, the athletes within those institutes under those practitioners have, have that close working relationship um, with them. So it's not um, a direct athlete servicing role. Um, there's also, uh, I guess, the development of guidelines, policy, and uh, showing those are up to date, like our supplement policy uh, last year at Nationals, we launched our disordered eating um, guidelines and body composition assessment guidelines, um, and we'll roll out the new eating disorder in sport um, uh, workshop sessions um, that um, a few of us have done the, the course and have become facilitators, um, as well as contribution to um, some more of our uh, development program. Um, so within Athletics Australia, there's the Target Talent Program, um, that rolls out nationally. And so that's essentially under 20-year-old athletes. So um, we've been coordinating that kind of content that is delivered at that age group and ensuring that there's a bit more of a coordinated response and um, ensuring that there is a sports dietitian locally um, that is delivering that um, to just help form that succession of, of knowledge and education um, before they do come into the institute. It's also that a lot of those younger athletes will make our world under 20 team. Um, so having input then in terms of online presentation or content that helps prepare them um, for the, their event. You know, for example, our world under 20 team this year are going to Cali in Colombia. So it'll be quite a hot championship. So that team will be selected probably about now. And so we'll deliver some content and then have someone uh, facilitate some further presentation material um, at their kind of pre-departure staging camp later this year. Um, there is some yep. targeted NAS athlete support, but it's also um, understanding who in the, you know, the rest of our network, and I think both of you are on our recommended um, sports dietitian providers um, outside of the National Institute system. So we've been really lucky to have um, Steph's support recently um, in helping prepare one of our race walking athletes for championships and some gastrointestinal um, challenges that she's had. Um, and obviously, yeah, qu quite often through the VIS, we're referring athletes um, to Monash for whether it's a relevant DEXA or RMR assessment or gut assessment um, testing as well. Yeah. Um, so um, travelling for, for a training block or competition is 
um, part of life for many athletes, be it competitive or recreational level, um, domestic or international. Accommodation could mean anything from staying in a caravan park or tent for a trail or mountain bike event, could mean a service department, an Airbnb or a hotel for a triathlon through to major events with well-organised catering and accommodation. But regardless of the setup, there's going to be some common issues that arise when you're away from home preparing for an event. So if we look, I guess, just for now a bit more specifically in regards to domestic travel and um, general kind of issues that might pop up, what are some of the key logistical challenges that come with planning your nutrition while you're living out of home? Yes, so I think some of the key things is understanding the environment that you're going into, um, I guess, you know, specifically from a food service or equipment perspective. Um, Being proactive in researching where where you're going, um, obviously understanding what will be available within that accommodation setup from, you know, a typical kitchen scenario and equipment that you typically use to prepare your meals or snacks or to store them. Um, I think is a really important consideration. Um, Depending on, I guess, the location or the duration that an athlete might be travelling might also determine how much of the key items they need to support their training, recovery or competition will also help, obviously, determine how much is taken or if they are uh, staying in a location for a longer period of time. Um, what if they do run out or if they do forget something, what obviously can be ordered in locally or shipped or if there's another member of a training squad or coach coming in later, what can also be brought from home. Um, so it's probably more f- familiar foods, fluids, the things that, you know, an athlete would routinely feel comfortable ensuring that they've got to support what, you know, event they might be leading into or the training camp um, and ensuring that they're well prepared ahead of time. Um, I think sometimes athletes can leave things a little bit to the last minute and therefore they, they, they might run out of time or something doesn't arrive. Um, and I think COVID brought some challenges in that regard. Um, so, yeah, they're probably some of some of the key things, I think. Obviously, yeah, if, if you're camping versus staying in a service department, um, you know, that's going to bring a whole other range of logistical things and, I guess, you know, a lot of ultra athletes or um, mountain bikers, as you said, Steph, you know, dehydrated meals um, that Monash amazingly provide and that we've used recently, Um, you know, some of those types of things and planning and non-perishable items are obviously going to be really important. Mm, Yep, yep. And um, when someone is booking accommodation for travelling for training or a race, for example, to a town interstate for an Ironman or a trail race, Any um, tips on what to go for, you know, in terms of looking for cooking facilities or um, location? Yeah, I think um, probably I think a microwave is pretty handy and that's obviously maybe not always going to be accessible but in terms of, you know, microwavable rice products or mixed products that you can get. Um, I think a fridge is obviously pretty important Um, and even if it is a small bar fridge depending on the length of time um, that can be useful uh, in terms of storage but 
Um, it's probably more if, if it's not, you know, a service department understanding what access or what foods or supermarkets, ready-made meals, um, cafes, restaurants that you might have around that you know you're going to be able to choose something that satisfies, suits your, your needs. And I think that's quite pertinent for athletes with allergens intolerances in terms of cross-contamination for, say, our celiac athletes and helping to reduce any pre-competition anxiety, particularly if some of those athletes are quite symptomatic. Mm. And I guess particularly if someone's um, like to some of those endurance and ultra-endurance events where you've really got a carb load and you you know, you know really yeah. need to get that right the, the day before a race, like yeah. if you get there and you find that you haven't got access to the food that you need or the only restaurant in town selling these really fatty meals that actually don't have that much carbohydrate in them it's going to be really hard to sort of achieve those kind of goals the day before a race which you've you know spent yeah. you know possibly taken time off work and spent hundreds if not thousands of dollars to get there mm. um and then because you haven't planned that level of detail um suddenly you're going to have gut issues or, or not be well fueled on your start line mm. yeah that's yes yeah, so true Unfortunately, with obviously, yeah, your carbohydrate loading plans, if we think about a lot of those food products, they're, they're not too heavy um, mm. in terms of packing on board as well. Mm. Pretty easy yeah. to consume and eat. Take. Yep, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and um, I was going to say it can reduce the risk of, um, well, possibly of food, you know, unlucky food poisoning. I um, mm. recall going when my partner was racing Ironman in Hawaii and the night before we went out um, for, for dinner and we thought it was a pretty, you know, safe safe place, a lot of Aussies eating there. And um, thankfully um, that the partner didn't end up sick but I got food poisoning and that whole um, night I was up. So, you know, like keeping that person up. But, um, yeah, I think it's just also, you know, potentially – reduces a, a risk there that you might think is completely fine like I ordered you know normal stuff and it was just unlucky um, but you know if you're planning for an event and you've been doing everything right in terms of training you probably want to I don't know safeguard a bit sometimes with the food too. Yeah that's a great mm. point definitely. Mm. Mm. Um, any handy tips for like equipment or utensils that you recommend athletes consider taking with them? Apart from what a lot of our listeners take with them already is the um, Nespresso um, <laughs> machines. <laughs> Aeropress. Yeah, the Aeropress. Yeah, that's um, it. Through all of them, a lot of our athletes as well. <laughs> so, yeah, that's definitely um, imperative and it's really cool to see you know, the athletes and their different devices and different forms of you know, coffee and preferences. Um, but that, you know, um, even taking some disposable cut cutlery in saying that some athletes can't stand um a, you know kind of wooden fork or, mm. or knife that doesn't actually cut properly so it might just be um you know a small set of cutlery that you do take and that you can wash um and in saying that even like um a small you know the um the small travel bottles that you can buy from the supermarket that you might take a shampoo or conditioner mm. And using those to you know, transport some, you know, washing detergent or washing powder, mm -hmm. some of those things that you might not al always have access to um, mm -hmm. can be really useful and keep things pretty leak-free. Um, an athlete taking over some maple syrup in one of those to Boston Marathon shortly, um, which is a bit of fun. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, it, it might be something really simple like, um, you know, a bowl depending on, you know, the meals that you're having if someone's carbohydrate loading and having rice bubbles, rice, um, jelly, um, banana sliced up on the jelly, depending on how they, they'd like to do it. Something um, like that might be a really um, good piece of equipment, um, so to speak, to take that they can use across multiple meals. Um, I think depending on the environment, that might determine whether you're taking more of um, a, a thermos-based um, mm. product in terms of keeping liquids cool or something warm as well. Um yeah, and any other things that, you know, you typically would need or use to prepare your meals for that event. Yeah. Are there any others that you use a lot, Steph? When I'm travelling for utensils? Mm. Or, or, or that you recommend to, to athletes to take with them? Mm. That's a good question, Al. Um, Straws was the other thing I've learnt through with slushies. It's always oh, easy. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The other one that I've recommended quite a lot, actually, and this is probably more for when people are traveling, for example, like the triathletes I work with, they'll spend several months of the year over in Europe. So it's not mm. necessarily going for a race, um, but it can be as well. Like if you're traveling you know, interstate for an Ironman or something like that, and you've got a carb load and, and you're not really sure about the facilities you've got in your hotel available to you, mm. is even taking things like a rice cooker. Mm. That can be a really good one because mm. if all else fails and you've got no other way of getting a decent amount of carbs in, all mm. of a sudden you know you can just get some rice from the local mm. supermarket and you might be in a country town somewhere, you'll still be able to get rice and at, at least like it may not be the tastiest meal you've ever had, but at least you can cook up as much rice as you can possibly want. Um, the other one that I've often suggested to people to take is a sandwich press as well. Um, mm. because there's all sorts of things you can, like it's yeah. so many things you can make with mm. a sandwich press really simply and, and easily mm. um, if you're really stuck for, you know, a lack of a stove and an oven and, and those kind of things if your service department isn't what it said on the brochure, um, mm. which can happen, <laughs> then, uh, yeah, you've got a couple of things there. So, yeah, I think sometimes it's maybe not if you're just going away for a day or two, but if you're going away for a longer period of time mm. or, you know, you're carb loading and you're really not sure what you're going to get when you arrive there, they're two things that you can pack with you, particularly if you're going in a car that aren't mm. going to take up too much space. Um, that can be a lifesaver in some situations. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good tips. The only other thing um, is we're just thinking about some of our athletes with allergens is even the little um, toaster packets. Yeah, toaster packets, yes. Yeah, because that cross-contamination and just athlete confidence in particularly um, larger group environments can be really challenging. So just small things like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. toaster packets, the same with um, people with celiac disease as well, just the, uh, a sheet that they can put on the barbecue um, yeah. is is good too. Yeah, 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 good one, good one. And so how about the, the travel aspect, uh, I guess, specifically, be it by plane, bus or, or taking your own car? Um, so, yeah, I guess in terms of travel and nutrition in that regard and thinking about domestically, um, I think it's important for athletes never to assume they might be able to grab a snack on the road or what snacks might be accessible through their travels depending on the destination or location that they're going and perhaps the quality of nutrition that might be available um, to them. So, um, 
yeah, I certainly think, and what we saw through the pandemic as well with travel through airports was very little um, food availability and and shops open. Um, And just reminded me ahead of our, um, you know, Sapporo Tokyo trip, we we did have some some meals brought in um, to accommodate the unlikeliness that we would have food available there. So taking, you know, snacks that, um, you know, you would readily eat fluids as well, your own drink bottles, things like that, um, and any kind of additional items I think is really important. Um, And if you're travelling, you know, in a bit more of a team-based environment, there might be someone that always does forget to bring something. So ensuring that there's plenty of extra, um, I think, to go around is is also a good idea. Um, Obviously, with any kind of domestic or international travel and what we've learnt and, um, you know, prior to is, obviously good hygiene practice so um you know if you go to the toilet obviously wash your hands before before you eat and after after you're in there and um use your hand sanitizer another thing that um athletes did ahead of um the games and can also apply obviously domestically is even taking some sanitation um wipes or antibacterial wipes and wiping down the plain um tray um so so that you're just, you know, eliminating any risk of um, catching anything through, through that commute. Um, yep. Also just making sure that anything that you are taking is prepared or stored appropriately to minimise the risk of leakage or any kind of spoilage issue um, or, or kind of travel bag or insulated um, lunch boxes that are obviously going to keep, keep things um, pretty well kept across that, that commute. And um, so obviously there's kind of that short-style um, travel and then there's longer domestic and international. How does the advice change if you're travelling short or, or long distances? So I guess travelling domestic versus international where, um, like we you spoke about just before, needing to consider things like the circadian rhythm and, and sleep routine. Yeah, so obviously um, domestically um, th- th- there's potentially not going to be too much change in terms of jet lag or circadian rhythm um, depending on where you're travelling to or, or, or that commute. So international um, flights can obviously um, create more challenges um, from a, a sleep um, perspective and a disruption to your body's normal you know, hormonal rhythms um, in terms of what we do see with the impacts of jet lag. So um, in addition to, I guess, long-haul flights and disruption to sleep, um, there also can be a kind of a bit more of um, a risk of, you know, slight dehydration um, in terms of the cabin air pressures as well as um, constipation um, with the, the lack of, I guess, movement and the types of foods that might be provided um, through those travels. So um, there are different strategies um, that can help support that or athletes can use to ensure that they travel as well as possible and then move in or out of um, that jet lag state when they arrive at their destination. But certainly um, things we spoke about domestically would also apply um, to travelling internationally from that hygiene perspective with the hand sanitizer, you know, the antibacterial wipes and wiping down your tray, um, washing your hands at, at opportunities or when you have been using a toilet that is used by a lot of people um and with obviously mask wearing too just ensuring that you have got additional masks that you can rotate across the flight there's there's nothing worse 
than smelling your own breath on on a long flight, <laughs> um, taking you know all your all of your essentials that you need to um, to make sure that you're traveling pretty smoothly across that time. And you know, athletes can take things um, on board as well. Um, and I guess that helps minimise some risk for an athlete that might be a bit more susceptible to GI issues or that does have high energy needs that might not quite get exactly what they do require um, through the in-flight service or for any athlete that might have an allergen or intolerance um, that, again, might not be as well catered for um, in-flight. Yeah. <clears throat> And um, any specific tips or strategies that you use for managing changes of, of time zone? Yeah, so I think um, there's obviously a few things and, um, you know, research in this space. So in terms of um, managing time zone and things like that, um, it's really important to start getting into that local destinations, obviously, um, time. And so there are some things that can be done in preparation for that in terms of um, wearing sunglasses um, at the airport, so trying to change that perception of light to get into a bit more of a darker um, space, so to speak. Um, There's some research around caffeine intake um, after arrival, and there's been some research, I think, done with a 300-milligram slow dose release of caffeine in terms of helping to support the body's normal hormonal rhythms getting back into a good Mm. cycle Um, obviously sleep strategies on the flight are really important and that's where um, things like melatonin um, that might be prescribed um, medically um, can help support an athlete um, in terms of inducing that sleepiness um, it was all other medications that are a little bit stronger that, again, might help support sleep. And I think that's probably that area of medication, which, again, is managed more medically, is probably one of the key things that does help a lot of the athletes that I work with manage um, time zone shifts. Um, but it's obviously really important that they practice or, or trial that well ahead of that travel, particularly if there's uh, a short duration between getting off that flight and racing um, and effects of, of that. Yep. Is there a, um, like from a, a food point of view, do you, I mean, you suggest like obviously trying to get into that um, routine of the new time zone sort of as early as possible, like on the plane as well. Obviously, you know, you're kind of a little bit limited in terms of the, the in-flight food service of what they provide and when they provide it. But I guess if you've got your own food as well, do you generally tend to suggest to them that they start to eat kind of breakfasty type foods at the time that the new destination's breakfast will be, have the same sort of period between meals that you would normally have so the body's used to that rhythm of rather than just grazing on things across the flight, you know, having your distinct meal patterns in the same way that you would day to day so the body's used to that and then trying to structure the timing of meals around the new time zone as soon as possible? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, as little as, you know, changing the watch time as soon as you're on, you know, on the flight. And I think probably the challenge is obviously what's happening in that small cabin space around you. But if if it's possible that um, there are some foods that an athlete is familiar with um, will prefer and meet their needs on board, I think that's really important and obviously a big factor in terms of helping to, to minimise the impacts of jet lag. Um, so, yeah, most most definitely. I'm also probably around, you know, what we've learnt too in terms of protein quality, in terms of helping to support um, 
you know, the quality of sleep as well as that carbohydrate content um, in terms of helping, I think, to reduce sleep latency as well. So, um, yeah, there's some considerations as well. And um, so what what types of things need to be thought of and planned ahead of training, um, of, of travelling, sorry, in, in terms of nutrition? So, um, yeah, what, <clears throat> what types of things would you recommend an athlete do um, so I think um, organisation and being prepared well in advance is really important um, b- before travel. And so obviously it might be um, what kind of foods or even some of their race nutrition supplements that they might prefer to take on board, um, understanding what can be taken in two countries um, in terms of you know, the different rules that do exist. I think head of Japan, there was a lot that needed to be declared um, uh, kind of dairy-based protein powders weren't allowed to travel on flight. They needed to be um, shipped by sea. Um, narcotics, things with codeine um, weren't allowed uh, within the country. So depending on where you're going to, it's important to understand what some of those regulations um, might be um, and where you might run into a little bit of a trap. And I guess, you know, carrying documentation um, with you that is supported through a sports physician or your doctor um, I think is really important if you do run into any challenges. So it's organising what you think I guess you'll need as well as any other prescribed medications to support sleep in flight um, but ensuring that, you know, you're packing for I guess a contingency plan of you know, if you can't access foods or if there's limited access to what you need to prepare for your event in that um, local country, ensuring that you've got as much as you, you can of those supplies. Um, considering um, weight as well, I think that's probably one of the harder things, but it might not be that you take over a whole heavy tub of protein powder or sports drink powder that you're decanting and putting into small Ziploc um, bags and putting a date or the amount that it's providing um, so that you can kind of, you know, plan and map out and provide some extra um, for that duration that, that you're going to be away. Jess, with that, um, how do um, do athletes get stopped then if they are travelling internationally, you know, and they have <clears throat> their supplement? If it's not in the original container um, and it is in the sealed Ziploc bag, do they need to take a letter or anything with them to safeguard them or um, what's been your experience, I guess, with your travel and, and the athletes that you work with? Yeah, so perhaps more fortunately, I don't. we haven't, from my experience, run into too many challenges yeah. um, in terms of borders or, or things um, being checked um, in that regard. But, yeah, certainly if, if there is a specific product or that, you know, um, might look a little bit suspicious having even um, the product, you know, even if somebody's taking a photo or if if the product's able, the packaging able to be provided with that, any kind of evidence or if it is more medical or sports supplement based, if if we think that there could be a risk of that, I think, you know, you may as well go as prepared as possible Um, and even having the contact details from that medical profession if an athlete was... um, in a really sticky situation. Um, so I think, yeah, as much evidence that you can provide in terms of, you know, the purpose of it, why you're taking it, um, particularly with the declaration side of things, um, I think is always going to be a really good safeguarding strategy. Mm. Yep. 
And um, what are your thoughts on um, airline food for the athlete? Should they consume it or do you think they should prepare it their own? Yeah, so it's a good question. And, look, I think it's it's largely related to personal preference, but I think uh, some of the challenges might lie in terms of different dietary preferences and, therefore, what is available. Um, we've got a few um, kind of plant-based athletes um, across our team so um, and an athlete that's recently um, travelled over, overseas too. So we did a lot of planning in terms of um, additional protein that um, – she would consume on flight. So um, it's, I guess, thinking ahead of um, the individual athlete, um, foods that they typically eat, um, foods that they not might not prefer that are usually available. Often a lot of athlete commentary is that food is pretty stodgy, um, that, you know, it doesn't taste too great and we know there can be taste changes as well, smell changes um, to our sensory um, um, qualities when we do travel um on flights so I think it's athlete preference but um that will probably change based on who we're working with and what they need and so Mm. um an example ahead of um the potential really long delays into Tokyo ahead of Sapporo um we ordered um additional radix meals um for the athletes to have so some of their birch and mueslis um and some more of their savory meals um and extra snacks in the case that there were really long delays um, and large gaps between food intake. And I think from my recent experiences and particularly with um, junior athletes travelling too that might not have had as much opportunity for education and knowledge or, or travel experience in general, um, if, if staff who might be travelling can be aware and pack some of those extras, um, and I think in our recent trip to Amman, got to the airport and I had a little Nike bag of um, some just staples for, to have across the route. And as soon as I got there, one of the junior athletes was like, oh, I haven't eaten much today. I'm really hungry if you've got anything. And without too much being open. So, um, yeah, I think always having some contingency stuff is, is really important. Mm, yep, yep. Um, so I guess... What's the actual risk to the athlete um, that, you know, if they don't plan their nutrition for when they travel, what's the worst that can happen to them, I guess, from their performance perspective? Well, I think food is such a, it's such a comforting factor. And so coming into a key event that, you know, an athlete has prepared and spent so much of their time, as Alan mentioned earlier, so much potential money getting there and um, even what they've spent with their physio or sports dietitian and um, the, the services that they've used to optimise their performance on the day of competition, if nutrition or planning isn't considered um, properly, it's such a small thing that can derail um, such a potential amazing performance or experience for that athlete. If things aren't um, available that have been well practiced ahead of that championships in training um, from a carbohydrate loading or glycogen normalization um, optimization perspective or the, the fluids that are planned and the things that might be required to support that even thinking about little sauce bottles or pop top bottles ensuring that all of those little things that are going to facilitate the plan as well as the product and the gels um, or choose or whatever somebody might be using across their race is really important. Um, obviously, the risks might be that performance is not optimised. An athlete might go in um, 
not as well fueled or hydrated as, as they could be. And depending on the environment that they might be competing in, that can be obviously a huge uh, risk to health as well as performance. Um, and then there could also be the risk of obviously GI complications um, that occur. Um, one of our athletes that did go to Sapporo um, couldn't locate uh, their gels that they had mm-hmm. um swear they'd brought over prior to um, the event. Um, they, were, they were located after the event, but it was lucky that we, we did have some additional stuff and very similar products to what that athlete had used and trialled before. Mm. But it's those key things that you just wouldn't think in even a little bit more of an experienced athlete um, might, might mm. occur. Um, and that can be just related to the enormity of, you know, the event and... Um, mm. You know, things not always going to plan. Yep. Exactly. Any other kind of nightmare stories that you've come across in your time, Jess? You don't need to name names, but um, <laughs> where sort of travel's gone horribly wrong in terms of, uh, you know, food poisoning or um, their stuff gets sent to a, the other side of the world or um, they get to accommodation. And as I said before, you know, it's not what it looked like on the brochure kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Food travel, not, I can't think of any related to my previous experience as well as my work now other than personal stuff when you go on a holiday and, you know, the odd oyster that's consumed and whoop, that mm. just uh, <laughs> causes mm. lots of gastro-related issues. Um, I guess funny, amusing things, one uh, that I recall is our World Junior trip and I think it was actually an athlete's, uh, they weren't pole vault poles, I'm pretty sure they were javelin poles and carrying them vertically and heading up the escalator and all of a sudden they, they went through the roof. Um, so, yeah, obviously not ideal. Um, a little bit of damage done, but certainly for some of our um, kind of uh, heptathletes, decathletes, what they need to carry and the logistics around getting their poles, getting all of their equipment um, checked through and the logistics in and around that or uh, what where they might need to check in domestically to get it to the location internationally and there have been I think stories where, where poles have have gone missing and you know it is quite common that it can be a bag of luggage that does you know go somewhere else so I think mm. you know the key message there for for listeners is probably make sure that you can um, carry with you everything you do need for that day of racing or competition um, and any products obviously that are able to be um, taken with you to carry with you on board. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I guess, you know, coming back to what you were saying before, Jess, I mean, I think one of the things or a bit of advice probably that we could give here is just think about all the things that can go wrong on a holiday or in travel in general, and just assume that they, you know, because it's a sporting event doesn't mean that, you know, all of those things can still happen um, Mm -hmm. in terms of, yeah, luggage going missing. Um, yeah, obviously with, you know, triathletes and cyclists, you know, you've got a hell of a lot of equipment there, like the, Mm -hmm. like the pole vault poles and so on. Um, But you've got bikes, um, and then you've got all the issues of hygiene and getting food poisoning or traveler's diarrhea and that kind of thing. So being careful about where you do eat out and, um, yeah. you know, tempting to sample the local cuisine somewhere, but, um, maybe save that till after your event rather than beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously with Tokyo, you guys couldn't leave the, well, you're in Sapporo, but I'm sure it was the same there as it was down in Tokyo where they couldn't leave the village. So that kind of eliminated that risk a little bit compared to normal. Um, but that's that's always a temptation that's there as well. Yeah, definitely. I think the other thing I'm just 
women too, like the potential delay. We had an athlete just experience this over the weekend. Flight was delayed and they hadn't um, taken additional recovery food and things like that. So delayed flights or longer times through transit, whether that's domestically or internationally, can can cause some problems mm. for people too, particularly if there's recurrent competitions um, in terms of looking at that broader picture of energy availability and things like that. Mm. Yep, mm. definitely. Things will come up that you haven't planned for or hadn't expected and, you know, particularly for international travel, it's going to be impossible to carry, you know, every meal and every snack with you for the duration of your trip. So there are going to be things that you have to source locally which will be different um, or, or may not be what you expect when you get there and that kind of thing. Do you find that that can be, you know, obviously some athletes uh, are quite rigid in their routines and what they eat and they have to have this and it has to be this brand of muesli bar or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Do you find that they struggle to cope a little bit more compared to someone who's maybe a little bit more flexible in, in the way they do things from an eating point of view? Yeah, I think that certainly can be a risk and potentially if, uh, you know, there's consideration to protein-fortified foods, which we know have been deemed, I guess, lower risk within Australia but there's always that risk when you know buying things out or or not understanding you know what the nutrition information panel or ingredients suggests on a bar so um yeah I think I think flexibility is important and it's trying to to make the safe decision as best as possible but if there can be some additional things obviously taken over or if it is a sports food supplement that can be ordered online if an athlete is staying at a base for a longer period of time, that that can be delivered and it's part of their usual um, routine. Or even if athletes are ensuring they are working with, you know, a fantastic sports dietitian that they can, you know, check in with them um, online, you know, through text message or whatever it might be um, to have that support with choice. Obviously when you go into other countries, if the language is English, that makes it easy. But if it's not, that can be difficult, you know, going to the supermarket and finding what you need. You know, sometimes it's easy. The, the pictures on the, the labels or the packaging is kind of self-explanatory. Yeah. Have you got any funny stories of things where people have bought things thinking it was one thing and it turned out to be something completely different? Actually, I do have a funny story similar to that, but it was actually <laughs> in Australia at our camps, staging camp, and it was um, – it was a kind of buffet-based setting and I think it, it must have been a lunch-based meal. I think I just arrived. And, you know, there was kind of the salad bar set up with, you know, your protein sauces and bread rolls and things like that. Um, but there was also quite a large container of next to the fruit salad um, of what looked like yogurt. <laughs> but was in fact mayonnaise. This reminds me of, um, is it not love actually, um, one of those movies, um, yeah, has a joke. Cars, cars two? No, it wasn't cars two. It was um oh, that's where he has the wasabi and he thinks it's pistachio ice cream. And so oh. he gets this massive serve of it. <laughs> yeah, very similar. Um Notting Notting Hill, uh with Hugh Grant in it. Oh. No, see I've got young kids, so it's different yeah. different genre of movie. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so someone had it, yeah, a big scoop well, thinking it was oh, yogurt. No. <laughs> yeah. Um and horrible. Yeah, I, I can't think of any directly. I know that when we did arrive in Sapporo and a lot of our 
food that was provided through the AOC came in on pallets. Um, the, the hotel staff were really excited to see how the different products and were trying our up and goes and, and things like that that we had available. So that was a fun experience. And I think, I don't know, if, if anything, when you are in countries um, where there can be some challenges with language or if, you know, there is a travelling member of the team, to try and make as many good uh, local connections or relationships with somebody that mm. can help with that interpretation um, or if you do know the sports dietitian that might work in that country trying to connect in with them prior to travel um, mm. or helping support your athletes with that knowledge before they go if, if you're not mm. traveling as well and I think there are different apps now that can help was it Google Translate? I was going to say Google Translate has sort of been a bit of a game changer in that sense as well that you know yeah. if you're ever stuck in a supermarket aisle and you've got no idea what it is or you're looking for something specific mm-hmm. that can be really helpful and and even if it's to ask someone where is the xyz you know yeah. plugging that into Google Translate if you don't know how to translate it already can be yeah. really helpful. Yeah. Do you have any funny stories Ellen? Um, not personally. I remember talking to uh, a dietitian, Tanya Lewis, who's over in your hometown, Steph of Adelaide, mm, she is. Um, who used to do a lot of work in cycling. And one of the teams went over to Japan and Korea for the tour of Japan and tour of Korea, which is sort of on the, the UCI um, Asian tour. And um, the hotels that they were put up in were actually brothels. And oh. so the, there were some rather interesting vending machines out in the corridors where they were, they wanted to go buy a drink or something, went to this vending machine. It was like, no, that's not what I'm going to get from this thing. Um, and she, I remember her also saying that they, they got halfway through this tour and ran out of sports drink powder. I'm not sure whether they didn't bring enough or they'd lost some along the way. Um, and they couldn't get any more sports drink for this team of you know nine riders or whatever it was. In the end, they just had to buy the only thing they could get that was sort of the nearest equivalent was Fanta. So they just had to buy like Fanta and then open it up and let it go flat overnight and just drink Fanta for like the last three days of the race of the tour. Classic. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was a while ago. This was like, I don't know, 2007 or eight or something like that. So I'm sure times have changed and the accommodation for the Tour of Japan is better than, than what it was back then. Yeah. What about you, Steph? No, no, like I'm um, thinking when I travelled for a race, which was um, the Trans Rockies in Boulder, Colorado, um, it, the thing that happened to me was um, I found out I had got credit card fraud the day before my race was starting. Oh, and no. so it was just hard for me to kind of focus on, you know, like, the the actual race when I knew like 10 grand had been taken out of my account um so just you know those types of things that can happen when you're when you're overseas um yeah and then getting unwell and yeah yeah but um food food wise pretty 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 okay pretty safe um and I would just always like because I have gut issues so I would always plan ahead and you know, check and for that particular race, we were very lucky with gourmet um, food being provided. But I actually did contact them to because I was actually having to reduce my FODMAP intake. So you know, it's a bit tricky avoiding certain certain food ingredients. So yeah, it was the, my tip is the same: ring ahead, find out yeah where um, where you're going and what local shops are available, and um, 
and what you can get. Mm. Mm. Awesome. Okay, and just to wrap this up, are there any other sort of key tips or things that you think we haven't really covered that might be helpful for, for running cyclists or triathletes when they're preparing, I guess, their nutrition to, to travel away to, from home to train or compete? Oh, I think if there's anything I haven't said, you guys will definitely know it and be able to share um, a bit more coherently. Um, but, no, I think, I think I think we've covered the main things and, you know, it's been – being organised, I think, and proactive well in advance, understanding the environment that you're going into, um, food access, whether it's safe to drink the water or, or what other means you're going to need to employ to um, minimise the risk of, um, you know, any water contamination-based issues, um, ensuring that you're on top of your hygiene practices. Um, if you're somebody that does struggle with um, sleep and, and jet lag, understanding what other strategies you might be able to use and, again, practice well ahead of that trip um, so that nothing is new and everything feels as normal as possible because there probably, if we're honest, be something that does crop up or happen. Um, and so I think, you know, keeping as calm as you can um, in those circumstances and just doing your best I think is is quite important to to help reduce some of that, you know, pre-race anxiety that we know can occur for athletes. Mm-hmm, definitely. All right, well, I think it's time to finish off with our bonus round, Jess. So this is where we find out a little bit more about you, and I know you listen to the podcast, so you're probably familiar mm-hmm. with this. Um, do you want to do the bonus round, Steph, or do you want me to do it? No, you can go for it. You're, I, for I think it. I hog the bonus round a lot of the time, so... Okay. Uh, Yep. Fair enough. All right, well, let's <laughs> go for it. Um, so, Jess, if you weren't working as a sports dietitian and you went down a completely different career path, what do you reckon you'd choose? Have you ever thought about, hmm, what if I did something different? <laughs> yes, I have, and it is, it is my <laughs> side hobby and passion at the moment. Um, but I love flowers and working with flowers. And so after I graduated um, and, you know, was finding work and things like that, worked in a florist. Um, and so learned how to, you know, throw bouquets and things like that mm. together um, and kind of working with those organic materials. I'm really therapeutic. Um, so I've yep. actually done uh, three of my close dietetic friends wedding flowers across the last mm. oh, well, two this year and then um, one a few years ago. So anything to do, yeah, with flowers, um, certainly got a passion for it. Interested to explore a bit more in and around. There's different forms of art therapy and, mm. you know, how perhaps one day I could consider you know food and that as as something um otherwise anything um yeah with vegetation or or nature even landscape gardening that type of thing i think it'd be pretty cool yeah there you go cool um one of the things on your bucket list that you haven't done yet oh i saw this before and i was it's and i was like is it a hot air balloon i was like definitely not (laughs) 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 above melbourne like oh um, and I'm getting more fearful of heights, I think, as I get older, which oh, yeah. is, um, yeah, quite quite annoying depending on where you're travelling to. But I think one of um, the really simple things is that, you know, I've travelled, you know, across various places um, throughout Australia and around the world, but I haven't been to Western Australia. Yes. So, yeah. I'd yep. love to go check out the West. Guess mm. where I'm going in May. Ah, cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've I've been there, but just went for a few days, not long enough. So, um, yeah, I can let you know. I will be checking out the wineries and so forth. Heaven, 
Yep. Are you combining that with the run over there, Steph? Well, Monash actually going over for um, Pascal's um, study, which is looking at um, youth um, in ultras um, or participating in ultras. So there's um, the Margaret River Ultra run down there. Amazing. Um, yeah, so I get to tag along as being a research assistant, but then I'll add on a bit of a, a extra holiday. That sounds awesome. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Um, what's a sport you've always wanted to try but never had the chance? Oh, um, I've always thought cross country skiing would be cool. Um, my partner always says I've got a bit of a diesel engine, so I thought perhaps perhaps that would be a little bit of fun and something something different, and you know, you're in some pretty cool places in the world where you could experience that. Um, although my coordination skills and you know, biomech. I actually started physio before I did nutrition and realised left and right wasn't um, my strong point. So coordination <laughs> would be probably a challenge <laughs> for, yeah. for a thing that is cross-country skiing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I grew up cross-country skiing as a kid. Oh, cool. Yeah. Did a bit of racing, but then we had like the mid-90s. There was just like seven terrible ski seasons in a row or something, uh, and that yeah. combined with sailing taking off. Yeah, we never went back to yeah. it after that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, favorite moment from the Tokyo Olympics or Paralympics? Ooh, there's probably lots of favorite. Um, I think, I think one thing that stood out and was really cool, actually reflecting on the experience, was um, the teamwork um, that drove a lot of athletic results and performances at these games. And I think it was. Athletics Australia's second best performing um, Olympic team um, for that championships and there were some awesome results with para, um, our para-athletes as well. So I think that was really cool to, to feel like you contributed to or were, were a part of that and seeing also um, some of our younger coaches come through that were mentored by some of our more senior experienced coaches in terms of pre-calling strategies or things that they could do um, ahead of the actual championships um and uh, i guess you know a personal probably event highlight i think was probably the women's marathon um you know i thought those you know they did an exceptional um job and such awesome people to work with and probably you know a personal highlight was um and cute my partner wrapped it up beautifully um it was a photo i think i think i just took a selfie with myself in the, in the food room and, and sent it through and he said, oh, you're in your element, you're, you're in a room full of food, um, you're sleeping next to your idol, being Louise Burke, and you're at the Olympics. And I think that kind of <laughs> summed up that experience um, you know, pretty well. So, you know, I think there were a number of highlights and lots of really, you know, um, important learnings as well, um, mm. you know, from, yeah. from both events. Yeah, cool. And we had Sinead Diver on actually um, just at the yeah. end of last year talking about that experience in, in Tokyo with that women's marathon. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, and final question, do you live by any piece of advice or motto? No, I, I don't really, but I think perhaps something learnt through the pandemic obviously is opportunity and, you know, if there is something that you'd really like to do or you know, whether it's reaching out to someone or whatever it might be that you just never know what's what's around the corner um, or health scares or things like that as our parents age. So um, it's probably more around, yeah, just ensuring that you are 
you know, jumping on opportunities that that come your way um, and making the most of making the most of them, I guess. Mm. Yep. No, fair enough. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jess. It's been great to chat to you and, and get some tips and, and some of your experience, you know, working across different levels of sport and, um, you know, all the way up to the, the top of the tree, so to speak, um, and, you know, the impact that travel has on athletes and, and some of the things you can do to prepare for that. Mm. Yep. Thanks, Jess. No, thanks for having me. Keep up the great work, guys. We really appreciate <laughs> it. It's awesome. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jess. Uh, and now I am going to hand it over to the one and only summariser, Alan McCubbin. Have I got the default job to summarise everything now? You I do. I just realised that. You I'm do. Like, still I seem to be doing them every week now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so our episode today, obviously, how should I plan my nutrition while travelling for races? Uh, but also that can be you know, a period of training as well. Uh, and I guess the, the number one thing that it comes back to is being organized and planning ahead. You know, if you don't remember anything else from this podcast, remember, be organized and plan ahead. Mm. Um, and then there's obviously several aspects to that, uh, thinking really carefully about the accommodation that you choose, um, assuming that you have the choice. Um, as Jess mentioned, you know, probably a, a microwave and a fridge is kind of the bare minimum that you should be aiming for. Um, but that assumes that you've got pretty good access to, you know, prepared meals in some form or another, whether they're, whether they're microwavable meals, whether it's restaurants um, or, or delivered food or um, the organisation is providing them something like that. But really, I guess a full kitchen is probably the, the best option because then you have full control over not only the, the types of foods and how it's prepared, but the hygiene of that as well. And from a food safety point of view, that can be really important. Also think about your accommodation in terms of its proximity to supermarkets, restaurants um, that have appropriate food that you might want to have, um, you know, the day or two before an event uh, can be really important as well. In terms of the actual process of traveling, remember to pack some extra things with you. That includes both food and equipment. So on the food side of things, obviously any must-haves that are really part of your routine that you really like, that you know you can't get at your destination, um, that obviously be non-perishable, you can take with you. Um, if it's Emma Jeffcoat, like we talked about last week, that could be crumpets and Biscoff <laughs> tucked away in your uh, your Olympic team suitcase. But uh, for most people, it things more like muesli bars or some other kind of snack type foods that you can take with you that may not be available wherever you're going. Um, also remember to take extra food in case of things like delayed flights or you get on the plane um, or you're provided with food that you really don't like or doesn't meet your needs in terms of dietary requirements or something like that. And also even things like if you've got a delayed flight, not only are you spending more time hanging around airports and things where you might get hungry, but you could also then arrive in a destination you know, at nighttime when the shops at the airport or, or locally are shut. So you, you get off the plane assuming you can just go buy something to eat and actually you can't because you've arrived at a weird time of the day or night. Uh, in terms of the utensils and equipment, I guess there's a few things between the three of us that, that we'd probably suggest, things like a um, spare set of cutlery, a bowl or two maybe, um, some straws if you're doing things like this, the ice slushies that Jess mentioned, um, things like a rice cooker, a sandwich press can be really helpful too. They're very versatile and uh, as long as you've got a, a power outlet, you can do all sorts of things with those. And then you've got things like dishwashing detergent, 
um, and hand sanitizer as well are really important ones to be able to take with you um, to help from a, a hygiene point of view. In terms of managing time show, time zone shifts with international travel, I guess some of Jess's suggestions, firstly, setting your watch to the destination time pretty much as soon as you get on the plane and then trying to get into that routine as soon as possible. Uh, and that includes things like meal times. So uh, the light and dark cycles are important in terms of our body's clock, but also the, um, the way we have meals in terms of how far apart our meals are. And then that fasting period overnight actually does play a role in setting our body clock as well. So thinking about the, the timing of meals around the destination time as early as possible on the plane can hopefully um, have some impact on minimizing the, the feeling of jet lag or at least adjusting to that new time zone as, as quickly as possible. Some of the other things that can be done obviously are more on the medical side of things, things like melatonin or other medications. Uh, but from a nutrition point of view, it might be things like caffeine on arrival. If you're arriving at your destination in the early morning, but you're exhausted and you want to sleep, um, then caffeine can be helpful in that kind of situation to try and stay awake and, and get adjusted to that new time. Um, Jess briefly touched on, we didn't go into a lot of detail about it, um, you know, protein and carbohydrate content of, of foods and looking at, you know, like a high GI um, carbohydrate rich meal may help you become a little bit more sleepy uh, at those times where you actually want to bring on sleep, but you're not necessarily feeling that sleepy. Um, the, the research in that is actually fairly limited, which is why we didn't touch on it a lot. Um, and that's the same with protein. So it's kind of theoretical and done in animal studies, but there aren't a lot of human studies on this, unfortunately. Uh, and then also, I guess, if you're heading overseas, um, thinking about the international food supply that's available to you when you arrive, having sort of common translations ready for some of the staple food products that you need to buy, both speech, um, you know, the ability to, to say that whatever phrases that you need, uh, but also the written one to be able to read food packaging or, or show the text to someone on your phone and they can help you find what you're looking for. Um, checking you know, well before you go for the availability of certain foods. Don't just assume that that food will be available when you get there. It may be, but it may not. Um, you know, can you buy things like the brands of sports drinks and gels and things that you're familiar with in case either you don't have enough baggage to take it with you or it gets lost somewhere along the way and you need to replace it. Food hygiene, as I said before, is really important. So that's both, you know, safe drinking water and then food safety in terms of food poisoning as well. Um, and really you know, avoiding sampling the local delicacies overseas until after your event is over because you don't want to end up, um, as you described in, in Kona, Steph, with a bout mm -hmm. of food poisoning the night before an event. Um, finally, I guess... You know, flexibility is is fairly important. Whenever you're going into a, an environment that's quite different, um, you got to kind of have to expect the unexpected, and things will go wrong or, or not work out the way that you'd planned. Um, and so, if you're very rigid with your routine and the sort of foods that you have, that can make things a lot more stressful. I guess um, you know, you can have anything that can go wrong on a typical holiday can obviously go wrong when you're traveling for for your sport as well. So that could be everything from your car breaking down halfway to a destination to, you know, some of your luggage uh, that might have food or equipment and things being sent to a different continent to where you've been sent to. Um, so you really need to plan for, you know, or at least have backups and flexibility around those kind of things. And, and ultimately there's that saying, you know, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. And I think that's very much true here, uh, even more so than in other aspects of nutrition when you're just staying at home and racing locally. 
Yep, yep. Um, and I thought of one as well. It um, sort of fits in this, but when I was racing in um, uh, the Trans Rockies run overseas, uh, I just packed, you know, like the, the sports nutrition and the gels and the drink that was going and sitting well for me when I was training. Um, but then over there I got quite, you know, got sick of due to maybe the altitude or whatever and got over those gels. But mm. I didn't take any backup with me in terms of a, an option. Um, and so that's another thing for people is then if they are racing, like they've travelled, but then they're racing and they're doing, you know, something like a multi-stage event, um, even considering having some backup um, gels or drink um, that just gives a different taste, a different flavour in case you do experience that situation as well. Mm, and that could be altitude or differences in like really hot or cold environments mm. or very humid environments compared to what you're used to, that kind of thing. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Cool. Yeah, awesome summary as always. Um, and, yeah, I think there's some really good, uh, like you said, practical tips in, in this one for people, uh, whether they're travelling domestically or internationally. Um, and so to add on to this one, the next episode is 35B. And uh, who have we got, Al? That's a good question, Steph. It's a uh, <laughs> to be confirmed at the moment. Uh, we're, yeah, we're chatting to a couple of people um, about you know uh, doing this episode with us and, and athletes. Mm. So we wanted to find someone who's got sort of experience both sort of travelling domestically and and doing things you know on the cheap uh, as as we've all done at some stage for mm. various sporting events, but then also mm. had that experience where. You know, they're a bit more looked after and there's a bit more resource and budget and things are uh, a bit more professional, I guess. So, yeah, um, tune in or, or follow us on Thank Instagram you. or Twitter or Facebook at The Long Munch and you'll probably see early next week who it's going to be. Mm. Yep. Looking forward to that surprise. Mm. And, um, yeah, anyone that does have any questions, please contact us at The Long Munch on uh, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and you can listen to us on all your popular podcast platforms. And we would love you to subscribe or share the podcast episode with your friend. Otherwise, we will love and leave you and see you next week. Yeah, we'll do. See you, everyone. Awesome. See ya. Bye.